Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Based on his personal experience as a medical transport driver and an immigrant, director Kirill Mikonofsky, along with co-writer Alice Austin, create a raw feature film about the comedy and heartbreak of people in the underprivileged communities living in a struggling American city. Medical transport driver Vic, played by newcomer Chris Gallust, is running late, but it's not his fault. The roads are closed for a protest and no one else can shuffle his Russian grandfather and his immigrant friends to a funeral. The new route uproots his scheduled clients, including Tracy, played by Lauren Lolo Spencer in a breakout performance, a vibrant young woman with ALS. As the day goes from hectic to off the rails, their collective ride becomes a hilarious, compassionate, and intersectional portrait of American dreams and disenchantment. The film is called Give Me Liberty, and we're joined today by the co-writer and the director, Kirill Mikonofsky. Kirill, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you. Thank you for uh, inviting me, uh, and thank you for uh, for the honor and your interest. This is all very, uh, you know, flattering and uh, lovely to be with you. You're very, very yeah. welcome, and it is just a, yeah. a wonderful film. We're going to talk a lot about uh, just uh, how this film plays out, this, the uh, the kind of rawness of it, the way you filmed it, this kind of uh, all the sort of different things that are going on in in the sort of the technical side of the film, the filmmaking part of it, but also this tremendous humanity that, that this film just comes out of every pore of it uh, is, uh, is something I also want to talk about. But let's start at the beginning. This story came from, from your own life, but also your collaboration with Alice Austin. Tell us a little bit about the genesis and, and this coming together over this film. The genesis, well, just like you said, uh, a while back, a while back, uh, I one of my jobs was driving a medical transport van. In retrospect, it was uh, one of the toughest jobs I ever had, and also one of the jobs that I learned most from um, as a human and as a director. That was my personal discovery of Milwaukee, and that my, was my personal discovery of America as it is. This I'm not going to use this cliche of a melting pot. You know, I mean, it's it's. I think it's. It's much more complex than that. Milwaukee is very spread. It's a huge city. It's a huge small city, <laughs> uh, small town with various parts. It's one of the most segregated places on earth. At the time, I, I did not know the term segregation when I was driving the van. I was fresh off the boat, and uh, so to speak, and uh, spoke you know rather limited English, and uh, there was no GPSs. I would. Um, it was really a tough job in the middle of uh, winter driving clients with disabilities with uh, many of whom I was, you know, I wouldn't say friends, but I was, I, I, they knew me and I, I, you know, got to know them. And uh, it was a relationship, of course. And uh, I felt this responsibility not only to make a living and keep myself afloat as I was attending a, a school, but also my responsibility for their lives, make sure they're on time to wherever they needed to go to make sure they're comfortable and safe. That didn't always happen. I would always be on, you know, late because I didn't know the city very well. And it was, again, winter and my driving skills were not up to speed. And, uh, you know, I would, uh, again, there were no GPSs. I would have to use a map and uh, the dispatcher would be gone in the dead of the night. And uh, 
one particular night it was it snowed in and uh, all their signs street signs were covered and I had to climb up the the signpost and wipe off the snow to see where I was. And I had five clients in my van and I as I was <laughs> coming down that post, you know, I dropped the keys in the snow. I couldn't oh. find them. I mean, that you know, those kind of stories, they happen. There's a lot of drama in it. You know, for me, I was feeling really like a bad person, really bad human being who was making these people's lives even even tougher than they already are, more. So uh, that was, you know, a very important critical experience and my formative experience for me as a human being and an American as a director. Because I, I learned a lot about life from the people that I was driving from from the street that I was driving. I would go to every part of town, completely unfamiliar to most to the most of my generation of immigrants who would never go to other parts of town other than the one they were living in comfortably. You know, fast forward number of years, I I, I kept thinking of these experiences, and uh, fast forward number of years after my first feature film that I did in Brazil. I got back to those ideas, those stories, and wanted to do something uh, based on that. But that kind of didn't pan out. I, I felt that um, I missed the boat. I missed the point when I really needed to make it. Uh, many things were gone. There were no more. And I wasn't interested in making a, so, a so-called period piece. And fast forward a few more years. By that time, I was working with Alice Austin, a prominent American playwright affiliated with, uh, with the Steppenwolf and Goodman Theaters. Uh, author of uh, some 30-plus plays, many of, of which were produced and uh, successfully produced uh, to great acclaim. She was an author of two novels, a brilliant human being, brilliant person. I went to the reading of one of her plays, came up to her afterwards, uh, we struck up a conversation, and uh, before, you know, and pretty soon we were working on a on a new draft of the of a, of a script that had been already written but needed some new, fresh look at it, and she agreed to collaborate on that one. And um, that was a sci-fi thriller with a, roughly the budget roughly of uh, 30, <laughs> $45 million, you know. Oh and uh, <laughs> being uh, in Milwaukee, right, we, you know, we, we, were, we understood. We understood, of course, that that would, even if it did happen, it would take us years to get that off the ground. In the meantime, I, as a director, needed to direct, and uh, I, I, I need to back a little bit, I had just been through a very tough experience when a, a project I was working on for close to five years collapsed only weeks before the shoot. And I came to Milwaukee to to sort of like leak my wounds and, mm-hmm. uh, and get my bearings together and uh, reassess and uh, understand in which direction I should be going. And that's when Alice and I met and began to collaborate. And so I needed to direct. I felt that angst the necessity, the need to, to make films. And I proposed to her to make a film in Milwaukee. Um, Milwaukee is a character, and she agreed that it's a fascinating city. Uh, and I proposed to use as a starting point those stories that I experienced, those anecdotes and situations that I experienced as a driver of a medical transport van. My only concern was that that world was no more. And Alice sort of proposed, you know, why not make it today? Because it... Uh, it can be equally exciting and uh, not that many things that really matter change that much, mm-hmm. like driving itself, like human relationships, you know, they, like, like the city of Milwaukee was still there in, uh, you know, the, the parts that are really fascinating and interesting. And that was the starting point that 
director and I, we decided to make a small film, very ambitious but small budget film that we could probably do ourselves within a year or two max, and we could probably find easily money for. Little did we know. You know, something that we thought would take a year and a half or so took us five years. Five years, well, the script came into existence, and uh, I sent it to a friend and colleague, Ben Zeitlin, uh, the director of uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild. He yes. was a fan of my first Brazilian film. And we, we went to the same lab, uh, Sundance Screenwriters Lab. I was uh, workshopping the script that uh, collapsed weeks before the shoot. He was workshopping uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild. <laughs> and I completely forgot that I gave him the DVD of my Brazilian film. And uh, years later, I was at the premiere of his uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild, not even remembering the name or the face. Until I saw him, and it's like, okay, I know that guy. And, uh, you know, and that's so we reconnected. And so the first draft of the script I sent to him, he got, he was incredibly excited. I mean, he loved the script, and he's, you know, he said something along the lines, you know, this kind of material makes me feel like running out into the street and shooting a movie immediately. I mean, and so he kind of got behind the project as a, as a, as a colleague, as a human being. He really encouraged uh, uh, this, uh, you know, to encourage us, to just go ahead and, and make that script. But we had an incredibly hard time. I know the production was difficult, and, re- and part of it was raising money. There were other things. But let, let's go back a, a little bit here. And the, the, the cast in this film feels completely natural to the environment that we find them in in the film. And they feel completely of their own mind in watching the film. And for anyone who hasn't seen Give Me Liberty, I don't think that'll resonate as much as it will after you've seen it. They all behave in exactly the ways that you would expect people to behave. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if, mm-hmm. how that sounds, but it, yeah. it just is so... Rem- this this part of the film just completely floored me on how you were able to get these particular performances out of these different people. And before I, we get into that, I just sort of reframing the storyline so Vic is on he's having a particularly stressful day and 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 there are family familial polls here he's he's recently dealing with the death uh in his in his family and there's other things that are happening so this one particular day is where we're sort of this is the film and if you want to take anything as far as telling us about the film without giving too much away from there yeah, it's up to you. I'll kind of leave that in your yeah. discretion. Well, first of all, it sounds like a great compliment. Thank you. This is that was the goal for you to for you to feel like that, like it's natural and organic. On that particular day, our medical transport driver, yeah, he's having a bad day, probably worse <laughs> than normally normally does. He's slightly depressed. He lives with his grandpa, and on that particular day, he's doing his job. He's doing his chores. He's picking up clients and dropping them off. However, on that particular day. Uh, his grandpa and his friends, Russian immigrant octogenarians, uh, they're on their way to the cemetery to uh, bury their friends. And unfortunately, their transport does not arrive. And grandpa and uh, his friends, they talk big, force big into helping them. And Vic is the kind of guy who can't say no. Yeah. He just got to help everyone. Yeah. And so at a certain point, we end up in a van full of... Uh, People from all walks of life, all parts of the world, all kinds of races, ethnicities, and ages, and uh, a very motley crew of people uh, who normally simply do not socially connect. Not in Milwaukee, they don't. And um, 
And, uh, you know, there's a lot of antagonism and uh, there's a lot of people who are pulling big different ways because he's got to help everyone yeah. at once. Yeah. And obviously he's dropping a lot of balls. As the van gets, keeps getting fuller, <laughs> the, the day is going from bad to worse. And, uh, and uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's just the beginning. And then yes, that, the there rest you, you, you have to see. Yeah, that's it. The that's rest you'll have to see. Yeah, that's it. yeah. We're going to stop right there. Right there. That's a good yeah. place to yeah, spot, yeah, stop. Right. It's a good place to stop. Right, right, right. You've right. teed but, it up. Uh, you've teed it up beautifully. So now right. I just want to remind our listeners, once again, we're speaking with the director, co-writer, as well as editor of this terrific film called Give Me Liberty. It's opening here in Los Angeles on August 30th. Please be looking for this. Uh, it is a film that did very well at the Cannes Film Festival. Did I read this right? Did it open Sundance? Is that is this is opening? It up? actually did open the next section at Sundance. Right. It did open it on the twenty fourth of July, July, January twenty fourth. That was the opening day of the Sundance Film Festival, and we had the honor to be opening our section. Wow! And uh, that was a great, great, great honor. And uh, kudos to all the senior programmers and Kim Yutani, uh, who is a huge champion of the film, and uh, had been had. A, had it not been for them and for her taste in curatorship uh, and John Cooper, of course, too. Uh, I mean, that was such a great uh, affirmation of something special we had in our hands. And it couldn't have come at a at a better time, yeah. frankly. Uh, yeah. It was just, yeah, yeah. So really appreciative of people out there recognizing special energy going on in this film. So. Well, now, um, we, we just yeah. we, we were talking about the cast, and uh, I read this, right. and you can confirm it for me, uh, that yeah. your most yep. established uh, professional actor in the group, was that, would that be cr- correct to say Maxim, Maxim uh, Stoyanov? Is he the most? Yes, uh, Max Stoyanov, and actually also the main character's sister, uh, who has a you know, minor, but a very important role, a supporting role, but a very important one. I would say in terms of acclaim and, uh, and experience, she's, uh, she's hugely uh, uh, experienced, like she's uh, immensely seasoned. It, despite her young age, she's incredibly seasoned. But uh, if we're talking about the, the main role uh, in the film, Max Planoff, of course, he is a classically trained uh, actor, absolutely brilliant actor, yeah. who has not had a break yet, like a major break, and I hope this film will be that break that uh, needs to bring him to prominence and uh, make him a very much in-demand actor as he deserves to be. He's an accomplished actor, uh, stage actor, quite brilliant. Uh, and uh, uh, other than this, too, all the rest were first-timers, like no experience on either screen or, or in theater or in any other form. Yeah. Well, they just then this is a testament to you and to your team uh, uh, in terms of preparation for of getting them in the proper space to do what they needed to do uh, in order. But everybody is just so good in it. I Lauren Lolo Spencer, who uh, plays Tracy, she's a genius. She was fantastic. She's a genius. She's a she's a A natural. She's she's, uh, I I I think she deserves a a, a separate chapter in our (laughs) conversation. I mean, I think anything I'll say will be an understatement and will not do justice to anything I'll say will do will not do justice. Um, You you just got to watch her. To, yeah. to believe it. There are a couple more people I want to mention just because they're, you're so taken with them. And, and, and uh, now, Chris, and I hope I'm saying Galust. Is that how you say Galust. it? Galust. Uh huh. Galust. Uh-huh. Uh, Chris Galust, who this is his first film. In fact, he has a background. Uh, tell us a little bit about his background, actually. Chris Galust was born in Brooklyn to uh, a Ukrainian mother and an Armenian father. 
uh, both immigrated from the former Soviet Union in the in the 90s. Mm-hmm. On his uh, father's side, his uh, grandpa is an Armenian, and his grandmother on the, his father's side is a Jewish lady from uh, Georgia, Republic of Georgia. So the reason I'm saying all this is because you know it shows what what a cocktail of of ethnicities he is, yeah. which is quite remarkable because uh, in a certain way it's uh, you know uh, the group of people from the former Soviet Union uh, coming to to uh, to America and the product of this wild combination of, of people from all kinds of places you know is Chris the crown their crown achievement I yeah. really celebrate that yeah it's quite beautiful but he was born in Brooklyn he is a well how did you find you him? know first generation American it took us six six to seven months to find Chris we uh, from the, I want to step back really quickly yeah. and say that from the get-go before a single line of the script was written Alice and I established two very, very important rules that, that basically set in motion. I would say they define the destiny of this film. There's two rules. And number, rule number one, to make it in Milwaukee no matter what, because it's a character and this is the main character of the film, Milwaukee. The film was inspired uh, and written for, by and written for Milwaukee. And, and rule number two, we wanted to work with non-actors. There you go. It's, this is the technique we chose. Uh, to make the film that we envisioned, that we were writing, uh, we wanted to work just with non-actors. This was rule number two. And both rules complicated our lives enormously because no one wanted to invest uh, in a film in Milwaukee. And outside of Milwaukee, nobody was interested in making a film in Wisconsin where there were no tax incentives. Okay. And no one wanted to invest in a movie with no stars. So uh, now let's talk about Chris. Uh, Chris, we, of course, we wanted to non-actor, wanted someone raw. We wanted someone uh, fresh, raw, natural, organic, not without a talent. That is to say, without an ability to be in front of the camera, not to be scared of camera. And uh, someone trainable and uh, someone inherently kind with, uh, with the substance, with layers, with depth. Uh, we were looking for that person. And uh, at some point, we, we had partners, a New York-based um, company, uh, production company. We partnered up with them. They really liked the script, and uh, they brought us to a financing group, financing slash uh, distribution group. And it was at that point when we began to look for Chris. Before we knew it, we were looking for into every uh, English-speaking actor between ages 18 and 30. And every, I mean, the United States, Great Britain, Australia, you name it, every speaking uh, English, <laughs> English-speaking person between 18 and 30 and we couldn't find for the life of ours. We couldn't find that that that, that Victor. We just could not find him. Uh, at some point, even we actually, uh, we were afraid we wouldn't make the film because we had partners, and we felt that uh, the time we're running out of time a little bit. We're taking too much time. And at some point, we even offered this role to a, a very young uh, British actor, the star of Dunkirk. Believe it or not, mm-hmm. uh, it was his role, first role in Dunkirk. There was something awkward about him and kind of in something non actory about him. He was not really, uh, uh, he was not spoiled or corrupted by the, by, by any training. And we felt there's something raw about him. Also, he had a person with a disability in his family, which obviously adds a dimension to the person. It means that he has empathy. He has uh, sympathy for the world and he, he understands what it's like to, to be a person with limited abilities, physical abilities. So that was a, a plus to him as a human being, dealing with this. He loved the role. His English agent wanted uh, uh, this role for him. However, 
while he was considering to accept the role, he got another agent in the United States who told him, look, you're about to become the biggest thing on earth. You don't need that small little movie in Wisconsin. Forget about it. And luckily for us, he turned it down. We were kind of despondent, uh, but we moved on, of course. And um, at that point, basically, we hit the wall. We couldn't find uh, the, the, the right actor. And that was then that uh, the, uh, the investing entity, the uh, investing slash distributing entity that our uh, partners in New York brought, uh, brought on board suggested, why don't we use the services of uh, Jennifer Venditti? And she's a very successful, rightfully so, a famous uh, casting director, New York-based casting director, who casts for great number of films. Uh, she's brilliant at street casting, among other things, and she's famous for it. She's a brilliant psychologist, uh, insightful, cultivated human being, just very gifted uh, casting director. She did uh, American Honey, White Boy Rick, among others, many films. Uh, she got on board. She understood what we needed, what we were looking for, and she started her search in New York with Brighton Beach, uh, where we can find the largest uh, community of Russian-speaking people, right. uh, Shipshead Bay, etc. Yeah. But, however, by week four, they've gone despondent because they couldn't find the right person. They just could not. Until one day, or one night, rather, they saw this young man surrounded by his friends entering a bakery shop, Russian bakery shop. He spoke perfect English, which was good. One check. And they followed him into the bakery shop, and uh, they heard him speak also perfect Russian. That was perfect. That's exactly <laughs> what we needed. It was also very interesting looking. Yeah. Not simply good looking, but also very interesting looking. There was something unusual about it. They approached him. He left him off. He couldn't believe that that thing could happen, that somebody would ask him to be in a movie or ask him to try. He thought that was a scam, some kind of fraud. People wanted something from him. He even thought, he confessed later, uh, l- later when we met him in Wisconsin, that uh, he thought, you know, they were making a porn film and they needed him for that. <laughs> so he would, he would turn them down at first. However, they did exchange numbers. They did see each other. They sat down. Jennifer established a rapport with him, uh, which was incredible. She recorded a lot of videos. And to be quite frank with you, I was here, sitting here in uh, Milwaukee. When I watched the video, I think everyone liked him, except for me. I did not like him. I mean, he was fine. It's just not exactly what I envisioned for the part. I thought he was too young. I thought he was in, in too handsome. I think, uh, you know, just looking at him, there was a lot of hope in him. And I didn't want to give that hope to people immediately. I wanted <laughs> there to be something hopeless, something broken, yeah. some kind of story, something that we needed to fight for in the course of the movie and then earn it toward the end of the movie. And I didn't have that. I had just youth. And, uh, and uh, you know, I didn't want to make just a young kitty movie uh, about, you know, about young, beautiful people, you know, uh, that going through a bit of a trouble, but in the end, it's all going to be, you know, hunky-dory. You know, I did, was not interested in that. Uh, so it was a process. Uh, we flew to New York. We met with him. I liked him in person. There was something humble about him and uh, really modest. And, um, and uh, he was like he had good energy. He had very good energy, but, obviously, but also very complex. In complex history, childhood and adolescence, there was some, you know, there was a period, you know, quite a few periods of trouble, you know, I yeah. think sort of like runaway kid and whatnot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the history of the family is rather complicated. Growing up in America uh, in the family of immigrants uh, was not extremely smooth for him, even though he, he has wonderful grandparents, uh, very strong and, you know, and, and uh, you know, uh, great parents. Uh, there was quite a nurturing environment. 
but even though they tried uh, to do all that, still, you know, there was a lot of other influences and, uh, and uh, you know, complexities to his biography, which, uh, which he survived. And uh, according to his own uh, testimony, this film saved his life. So I don't know to this day exactly wow. what that means, but I'm happy that it happened. Oh, and funny. so uh, at some point, uh, I think part me, part circumstances, I felt it was the right decision. And I, there came a point when I said yes uh, to him and uh, the rest is history. Yeah. I hope to have two months with him. Originally, when we had money in the budget, we had normal budget, not too much, but just the right amount of money to make a good film uh, without uh, you know, uh, killing ourselves. And uh, I, I asked for two months of preparation with this non-actor on the ground in Milwaukee, living in an apartment with a grandpa working for a medical transport company. Uh, in the end, after the budget collapsed in October of 2017, we lost our partners who nearly tanked the film, frankly. We found ourselves not to back to square one, but back to square minus two. We had to step back, reassess, and we understood we had no way but make this film or we will never respect ourselves again will be will be spiritually bankrupt and we'll break all the promises we made to a lot of people we'll never be able to look anyone we know in the eye and uh, it would be devastating so we decided to make the film with the for a fraction of the budget that we really needed and so in the end chris had only eight days on the ground of which i had only uh, which he spent driving medical transport van learning the ropes mm-hmm. and learning how to uh drive uh, people with disabilities in the van and make them feel safe um, and I had only one hour with him in a coffee shop to explain to him the role, to break it down, to talk about a little bit about the character, and then God bless. And then the rest of the film, he had to drive at the speed of 75 miles an hour and act. <laughs> and uh, uh, 99.9% of the driving was done by him. He got an additional credit of stunt driver. We had no idea he was a brilliant driver that basically saved us. Halfway through the picture, we realized, my God, we've been driving like maniacs all movie long, and we have not had a single uh, uh, incident or haven't been close to the incident. What the hell has just happened? I mean, he turned out to be a genius driver, this guy. I mean, really unbelievable. And so we got double whammy there, you know. I mean, like a really intense human being. He had to learn, basically, how to act as he moved. Uh, And uh, much was demanded from him, more than from anyone else. Um, He was thrown like a kitten in the water and asked... Not only demanded from not only not to drown, but to swim faster than anyone else. Yeah. So I think he had it the hardest, and I think a lot of the hardship that he endured throughout the film uh, complemented his acting. I think it infused it with a lot of intensity uh, and feeling of loss and feeling of uh, in being insecure at the same time. And a great number of occasions, he would summon the intensity and the emotional intensity that he he has and would be, and perform brilliantly. Nothing short of brilliant. So he's very, very talented young man. He he has a he can have a wonderful future. And I I want to let people know how they can find out about the film. Uh, there's a Facebook page for Give Me Liberty. It's uh, facebook.com backslash gml movie, and you can find out. You can go there. So Give Me Liberty gml movie on Facebook. Uh, I also have the link here as the uh, Give Me Liberty Productions. I don't know if that's where you want to send people who are searching for information about it online. Is that one work? Give Me Liberty Productions.com? Uh, there are a lot of sources. I think Give Me Liberty, the movie on Facebook, that's really a terrific way to okay. find out about us. Okay. Uh, I think Music Box, uh, the distribution company, you can find out about the movie 
uh, on their side. Uh, can also uh, simply today, it's interesting, I think the movie is trending, so all you need to do actually is just type up Give Me Liberty on mm. Google, mm. and uh, you immediately have a lot of sources, uh, a host of uh, information um, about uh, a host of reviews and yeah. other articles connected to the film. Uh, but I think the best way to connect with us and with uh, the trailer, Lolo's video, uh, many other small little videos and photographs would be uh, Give Me Liberty, uh, the movie on Facebook. Very, and, um, yeah. very good. Well, yeah. then do it that way. Just in closing, there is uh, the film opens and, um, dare I say, closes with James Watson. James Watson. And yes. I just thought you, the way that you framed the, the story the, uh, from the beginning to the, through, through the arc and to the end with him, and uh, I just thought it was uh, it really frames the film beautifully. And um, for people who see Give Me Liberty, uh, remember what Mr. Watson says, because it, it's, it's important to what the film is going to be about and hopefully yeah. what your reaction to it will be as well. So... Uh, congratulations on just thank you, thank that. you. Well, James is uh, like our conscience, you know. I mean, I I met James. I was I was doing, uh, you know, uh, I was w- wanted to get into the swing of things and went back in the van to ride with the drivers for a couple of weeks before the shoot, and that's when James and I met and we struck up a conversation about movies. And before we knew it, you know, his battery his battery the chair was dead, and I had to push him into the building. Uh, into the, his apartment. I had to he- help the driver, and this is how we met. That's how I knew where he was, and so I looked him up, and I said, James, you want to be a part of this thing? And uh, he said, yeah, sure, why not? And we became friends, and he became friends with Chris Galust and Max Toyanov. We just go, you know, every week to see him and uh, hang out with him. He's the noblest creature I know, and actually, there's nothing fake about him. He is, every time I see him, is joyful. I don't know where he gets it from. And I ask him, he says, from God, from prayer. And, okay, fine, it doesn't answer my question, really. But it's kind of amazing. I mean, he is like a saint. I mean, I don't know. I've never seen a more genuinely uh, joyful and hopeful human being. I get inspired. He smiles all the time. And he's not an idiot. He is a brilliant human being, yeah. a survivor. He broke his neck. He wasn't born like that. You know, he has a few children. I think maybe possibly eight children. And he's been, uh, you know, he's a quadriplegic. And he's happy. I don't know how he does it. And every time I see him, I, it puts me to shame just of, how dare I be miserable sometimes? How dare I be? I, you know, I, I'm learning from him. Every time I see him, I'm, I mean, he really just um, gave so much. He gives meaning to our life. And it's, it, it's you know, it's, it's, our, you know, it's unbelievable. I, I'm, we're really blessed with him. And uh, we spent a half a day with him talking, talking to Chris. Chris was truly moved, deeply moved. He, he was paralyzed in the frame in certain shots talking to him because it, was, it just affected him so deeply. And uh, James produced a lot of these words. And, uh, you know, it's, of course, in the editing, in the process of the editing, he, he, James found his place in the film in the very beginning, in the middle. And he became this father figure to Chris, uh, to, 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 to Victor, and uh, this, uh, this saint, this, this person uh, of wisdom who is guiding uh, Victor through his journey, helping him, uh, boosting his morale and uh, kind of helping him find himself, you know. Uh, and of course, he wraps it up with a beautiful, yeah. uh, um, almost like uh, uh, beautiful words. Yes. beautiful words that, that that inspire us. I think, and I mean, they never uh, fail to move me deeply. Whenever I step inside a theater and watching the this last moments, you know, it always hits me. 
always gives me a jolt and always kind of, you know, fills my eyes with tears, basically. I love this man yeah. and the fact that he's graced this, this screen, the, 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 our film with his presence is uh, such a gift of God, you know, like really grateful for it. I mean, yeah, it's uh, someone said in, 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 in the Sundance, actually three people, exactly, I counted, they got up, they choked up in tears and said every American should see today. And uh, I, I agree. I agree that this is the kind of film, the kind of healing film that's needed today. I think it's big on, on cinematic language, but it also makes a profound humanistic statement. And in, in today's world, in 2019, this film that was never meant to be political by either Alice or I or either of us, you know, together, you know, be, ends up being a political uh, statement because it's about humanity. Yeah. It because, it because it's about people, uh, people coming together. And, you know, and, and, and coming together because they're allowed to be themselves. And it makes a profound humanistic statement uh, that confronts the cynicism, the, 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 the political turmoil that we live in today, the, our turbulent times. I think it's the kind of film that we all need today because of the people who are in it. And uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's a really hopeful film, and it's, uh, it has a lot of light. And um, the kind of film that inspires everyone according to what i hear yes. all over the world france russia the united states so i'm really um it's a really special moment for us today in this next week and the following week releasing it in the united states we are proud of the fact that this is an american film uh and uh, and the making of the film was the, the true epitome of the american dream still alive and kicking yeah. um it is. despite the uh, the, the many people who proclaim it dead. No, it's not dead. It is alive, and uh, the the give me liberty and the people in it are the uh, living proof of uh, of of the fact that America is more alive today than ever, and uh, and uh, everything is going to be all right. Just like James said, just do the best you can, <laughs> and, and everything is going to be okay. Yes, yes. Well, that passion that you're hearing from our guest, uh, Kirill. Mikhanovsky is in this film, Give Me Liberty. It opens in New York on August 23rd at the IFC Center. It opens here in Los Angeles at the Lemley Monica Film Center, the Playhouse 7 in Pasadena, and the Town Center in Encino on Friday, August 30th, and other cities to follow. So go to that Facebook page, facebook.com backslash GML movie, and you can find out more about all of this. And, and why you should see this beautiful, beautiful film. And I want to thank you so very much for spending time with us today. The film, again, is Give Me Liberty. And we've been speaking with the director, co-writer, editor, and uh, you did everything. It sounds like you probably washed some dishes in here somewhere, and you you gassed up the van, and you did a lot, everything you could to keep this, this dream alive. And, uh, Kirill, I want to thank you so very, very much for being here today. Mike, thank you so much for your interest. Thank you so much for your time. It's incredibly flattering. I, I mean it. Alice and I had to uh, uh, wear a lot of hats making this film. And uh, and it's been, you know, the two of us pushing the boulder up the hill for five years. And we're still in the trenches of the release of the film, yeah. uh, building a grassroots campaign coast to coast. So, uh, guys, you know, like all your listeners, you know, thank you for listening. And I encourage you to see this film, this underdog, the underdog of underdogs, and, and then to see uh, that, that it's not all about money. Money is important, but it's, uh, it's a lot of love that movies can be made with. And uh, the fact that we are, we are 
We've been picked by Sundance, Can, and now picked for U.S. release. It's a series of miracles that we are so grateful for, uh, to, to, and uh, joyful, joyful that you can discover it now. And, uh, yeah, just like Mike urged, please go and support this great American film and uh, the, great, the greatest tradition of uh, American cinema. Uh, yeah. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you, Mike, so much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.